no-nonsense podcast where you get the truth about food so you can eat what you want and be healthy. I'm your host, Maggie, and welcome to the first Q&A episode. Summer is in full swing, which means I'm taking time to enjoy some COVID-safe adventures. So for this week, I'm going to be answering three frequently asked questions that I've received via my Instagram at Nutrition Bites Podcast. The regular deep dive series will return next week. On the menu today, Q&A. Question number one. Some people say to eat less fruit because of the high sugar content. How sound is that advice? So by some people, I assume you mean those following a paleo, keto, or any other carbs are bad kind of diet. They have this really weird vendetta against fruit, and it's honestly super annoying because I love fruit. And no doctor or nutritionist has ever warned the general population about the dangers of fruit. It's the opposite is true. On average, we eat too little. So let's dispel this myth so you can eat your watermelon in peace. It's true that fruits contain a substantial amount of sugar, and that can sometimes be more than processed foods. Take, for example, one mango, which could hover around 45 grams of sugar, or one apple, which clocks in around 20 grams. Compare that to a Kit Kat bar, which contains 12 grams of sugar, or a can of iced tea, which sits around 30 grams of sugar. So yeah, if we look at that number alone, fruit is looking real damn sweet. But in this case, the quantity of sugar is the least important aspect of the comparison. Naturally occurring sugar in fruit is not equal to added sugar found in other foods. Here's why. When you eat a piece of fruit, you're not just consuming sugar. Everything else about the fruit, what we call the food matrix, matters. Fruits contain a lot of water, excellent amounts of fiber and vitamins, a little bit of protein, and some other fun plant chemicals like antioxidants. This combo makes fruit a nutritionally dense food. On the flip side, foods and drinks with added sugars are often missing these key nutrients. Instead, they're usually high in calories and sometimes high in fat. And it's well known that eating or drinking too many processed sugar-sweetened products can cause obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. Too much fruit, on the other hand, no one who actually knows anything about health, has anything bad to say about that. Now on to the second complaint with fruit. Fructose. Sugar in its most basic form is made up of small molecules called monosaccharides. There are three types of monosaccharides, with fructose and glucose being the most common, and they act as the building blocks for all carbohydrates. Both fructose and glucose are found in different ratios in almost all naturally occurring and artificial sugars, including fruits, honey, table sugar, and corn syrup. The main difference between these two types of sugar is how they are shaped, and this one feature drastically alters how we process them. Glucose is our body's number one source of energy, so once it's absorbed into the blood, it's circulated in our body and delivered directly to our organs, muscles, and fat to be used for energy or stored. Fructose, on the other hand, does not get this star treatment. When it's absorbed into the blood, it travels straight to the liver, which is the only organ that can process it. The liver breaks down fructose for three main purposes, to create more glucose, to replenish its own energy stores, or to create triglycerides. 
Now this last option is where the fruit haters really get off. Triglycerides, also called tags, are a type of fat that is used as an energy source, and they also circulate in our blood. A high level of tags in your blood can stiffen your arteries, which puts you at risk for developing a stroke or heart disease. While it may sound scary that fructose can be turned into this unhealthy blood fat, what's important to remember is that less than 1% of fructose is converted into tags. A high level of tags is actually associated with a diet high in processed foods, and in fact, a strategy to help reduce those levels is to eat more fruit. So this whole fruit is bad because fructose turns into fat argument is completely invalid. Overall, the point I'm trying to make here is that despite fruit containing high amounts of sugar on paper, it's not fair to shame this whole category of delicious, nutritionally dense foods. Fruits are so incredibly important to a healthy diet, and you should never not eat them because one gym rat told you that's how he got a six-pack. So do yourself a favor and enjoy that sweet mango while standing up to fruit discrimination. Question number two. I've been seeing a lot of new types of chips out there. How much healthier are they compared to potato chips? First off, great question. I love chips. Personal preference is the Canadian flavor all dressed, and my global choice would be barbecue. Now you know. Now to answer this question, we need to review the most commonly found chip options. First, you have the classic potato chip. You know them, you love them. They're made from thin slices of potato fried in oil. Next up, we have the fancy black label Terra chips. I'm not sure if these are available worldwide, but they're another fried chip, except instead of potatoes, they're made from other root vegetables like yuca, taro, and parsnip. In the somewhat healthier category, we have veggie chips. Think of those multicolored chips that come in colors like pale orange, pale green, and yellow. They're actually made of potato flour and starch, and their colors are sourced from vegetables, which is how they get their name. Next, we have the OG gluten-free option, the rice chip. These are made from brown rice, rice flour, and ground corn, and they are baked, not fried. Lastly, we have some newer entrants on the market, lentil and bean chips. Both of these chips are also baked, with lentil chips made of lentil flour and potato starch, and bean chips made of some type of bean, as well as brown rice. Looking at the original salt flavor of each of these chips, we can make a quick and dirty comparison to see how they rank against one another. The chip with the most calories is the classic potato chip. It also ranks highest for total fat and saturated fat content. The most sodium is found in the lentil chips, at least the brand I chose. And the lowest calorie option is Terra, those fancy root vegetable chips. Rice chips provide the least amount of fat and sodium. And just for fun, both the bean and lentil chips actually provide a decent source of protein. Not something you generally associate with this snack, but hey, it's 2021. Now, determining which chip is the healthiest is difficult because it really depends on what aspects of nutrition you care about. Overall, the calories and carbohydrates for these chips are not too different from one another. It's really the fat and sodium that fluctuates. Sodium in particular can drastically differ between chip types, chip brands, and even flavors. So an easy way to make a healthier choice is by selecting the lightly salted version of your favorite flavor. Apart from sodium, the nutrient to focus on when comparing these chips are fat and saturated fat. 
The reason chips are so high in fat is due to the frying process. The ingredient, whether it's a slice of potato or parsnip, absorbs a lot of the oil that it's fried in. So if you choose a baked chip, like rice, lentil, or bean, or even a baked potato chip, it will naturally contain less fat. Now this doesn't automatically crown these chips as, you know, good for you, but if you crave a healthier twist on this savory snack, I'd try a baked chip. And if you really want me to give you just one answer to your question, I'd say go for the rice chip. From the evaluation I did for this episode, the rice chip had 40% less fat than the potato chip, so it's a really great choice to start with. The only caveat here is sodium, which, like I said, can wildly fluctuate. So just always read the label to make sure the salt is less than 10% and enjoy your crunchy snack. Now for the final question. I'm confused about margarine versus butter. Which is the healthier choice? Growing up, I remember watching this cooking show where the host said something along the lines of, I trust cows more than I do scientists. That's why I always choose butter. And that sentence really stuck with me as a kid, but... I've also gone to school and worked with food scientists, and I know that science is used to create healthier food options, like low-fat alternatives to butter. So I too have been confused about this butter versus margarine debate. So let's start with the basics. Both foods are sources of fat. Butter is fat from animal milk, and margarine is fat made from vegetable oils. Fat can either be liquid or solid at room temperature, and that's due to the structure of the fat molecules. The reason butter is solid is because it has a high saturated fat content. Saturated fat molecules are kind of stiff, and so they can be built up like Lego blocks to form a more solid structure. Vegetable oils contain unsaturated fats, which are more flexible molecules, causing this fat to be liquid at room temperature. Back in the day, margarine was created through a process called hydrogenation, which turned those flexible, unsaturated molecules in vegetable oil stiff, so a more solid substance could be made. Not only would you get a more spreadable food like butter, but it would also contain less saturated fat. The problem with this process, though, is that it ended up creating trans fats. Now, trans fat is a type of fat that is strongly linked to heart disease and stroke. In fact, the U.S. and Canada have now completely banned products from containing any artificially made trans fats. Because of this, and a lot of media hype about 15 years ago around trans fats, hydrogenation is no longer used to make margarine, so what you buy today will be trans fat free. But that trans fat hysteria and fallout some years ago really sullied the reputation of margarine, making some people still believe it's an unhealthy option. What people usually don't know, though, is that butter contains trans fats, because it's naturally found in animal milk. The amount is very low, but when comparing the two products, it's important to note this difference. Another nutrient of interest in this debacle is saturated fat. Although both butter and regular margarine often contain the same total amount of fat, the saturated fat levels are wildly different. About 60% of the fat in butter is saturated, which is triple the amount found in your average margarine. Now, the sat fat in butter is naturally occurring. Almost all animal meat and byproducts contain it. And it's not something we should be particularly frightened of. Saturated fat has use in our body. 
but when we eat a diet high in saturated fat, we increase our risk of heart disease. Unfortunately, we tend to eat a diet high in saturated fat, and that's because this nutrient is commonly found in processed foods, and so our intake is usually unhealthily high. If we were to exclusively evaluate butter and margarine based on the quantity of trans and saturated fat, margarine would be the obviously healthier option. But margarine is still a processed product, and so much research has shown that the more processed foods we eat, the more at risk we are of long-term health consequences. Yes, vegetable oil is the main ingredient in margarine, but it also contains stabilizers like soy lecithin and calcium disodium EDTA. It often also uses palm oil as an ingredient, which contributes to mass deforestation in Borneo, the sole home of orangutans, one of my favorite animals. I just can't get over how emotional and intelligent they are, and the deforestation from the palm oil industry is their number one threat to survival. Now, before I get stuck on the orangutan train, let's get back to the question. So when it comes to butter versus margarine, the healthiest choice depends on your personal needs. If you have concerns about your heart health or have been prescribed to decrease your saturated fat intake, choose margarine, but also generally try to find ways to utilize healthier fats like olive oil instead of a one-to-one swap with a processed butter substitute. Now, if you have a diet low in saturated fat and are generally in good health, I'd personally stick with butter. Maybe it's my bias for eating one-ingredient foods or my deep-seated love of orangutans, but what you can't argue with is that butter just tastes better. Now, don't take this as your excuse to slather it on everything like the French do. Still treat this food as a source of saturated fat. And remember, a little goes a long way. That's been the bite for today. Stay hungry. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Bites. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast and share with a friend. If you want to get in touch with me, please follow me on Instagram at Nutrition Bites Podcast. Have a great week.